Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. Well, let's pray together. So, Lord, I do pray that the end of this time in your word would be a people praising you for your glorious work and redemption that you would accomplish in our hearts by your spirit what this text calls us to, that you do that in fresh ways for all of us who have already trusted, and if there's anyone who's hearing my voice and hearing your word who hasn't yet trusted, that they'd be irresistibly drawn in by your grace. So be with us, be for us as you are Sunday after Sunday as we gather. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, thank you. Thanks for prayers for our family over the summer. Thank you for prayers, especially we heard from a lot of you over the last couple of weeks as my wife landed in the hospital a couple of times uh, after the birth of our beautiful little girl, Remy. Thank you. So thank you for prayers. Thank you for rest. You already clapped for her once. You don't got to clap again. It's good. We heard it. Um, and, and thank you for just the grace that it was to us. I, I feel refreshed and renewed, and my family feels it a deep gift. So we're really, really thankful, and I want to I say that to you in person. I've heard from people that there are some new people here who are really pleased with the preaching over the summer, and you're totally right, because I was here for most of it, and it was great. And so to you, if you're not pleased today, I just say I'm sorry. Uh, try to get better as I get back on the, on the, on the horse here. So let's dive in. Uh, I spent about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes every day just walking through Ephesians over and over and over again. So I'm going to do the best I can to not just kind of unload every uh, spontaneous thought I have. But man, God met me. And I've just been praying that he would just give you a taste of all the ways that he, he met me on my back patio this summer as I was reminded of his grace. So let's, let's dive in here. I'm going to start this 12-week series. And it's entitled Redeemed and Reformed. And The reason it's entitled Redeemed and Reformed is that Ephesians tells this story of God's plan to save a people from their sins and then help them walk more closely in new ways of life, all by his grace. We'll see that throughout the book. All by his grace. No boasting allowed for us. All by his grace and all for his glory. It tells this story of a people dead in their sins, right? Not barely alive in their sins, but dead in their sins and then miraculously raised to new life in Christ forever. It tells the story that grace doesn't only save like a get out of jail card, but this grace gives us a new identity, a new community, the church, and a new purpose living for the glory of God, not just partaking from that glory, but now living for it. And that grace helps us not only have new eternal life, but walk in ways of new eternal love. The very love of God from eternity past to eternity future on display through the people of God who have been loved with that love. That is a miracle, (laughs) and we get to walk through it. And it's so important. I was out uh, uh, with my kids a lot this summer talking to neighbors and having conversations with people. And it's amazing to me as you talk and interact with folks how much the, the age we live in is trying to tell people that true freedom comes from looking inside yourself. 
Man, you got to look inside yourself. You got to figure out who you are. And then you got to seek immediate gratification in whatever that is, who you are, and, and how you're all put together. And man, I would just say that's a lot of pressure on you. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure on me because I sometimes can't decide what I want for lunch, right? I got harder on sabbatical. I was <laughs> like, I don't know, there's another lunch and there's all these kids. Like, what are we going to do? And to, to figure out who am I and how am I going to live out of that moment by moment is a ton of pressure. And as I talk to people, I just see them wilting under that pressure. They, they can't handle that. They're not made to. There's no such thing as sin or hell or judgment or holiness. And therefore, there's no need for redemption or reformation of our souls. But true freedom is found in a kind of self-actualization, right? I, I finally arrived until I change. And <laughs> I have to arrive again and again and again. And yet, the age we live in, and you can go find this. This isn't a pastor just saying this to make a point. Go look at any secular study you want to out there. We live in an age with statistics about being the most sad, lonely, anxious, and hurting maybe ever in the history of our country. Why? Like why, why is that if this experiment is supposed to work? And it's because what we need is not self-actualization. What I need is not to figure out who I am on my own and orient myself around me. I mean, I love me some Dave as much as you love you some you, right? I like me a lot. But that's not what I need most to actually find deep fulfillment in my soul. What I need is redemption. What I need is not the freedom to live for myself and whatever makes me happy in that moment. What I need is to be saved by the blood of Jesus, brought into his family, sealed by his spirit, and given the power to now walk in new life and have new hope so that I can do what I was made to do, which is fellowship with God and worship God. God means to redeem his people from their sins, and then slowly but surely, we just talked about for four weeks, right, the sanctification, slowly but surely reform their hearts and minds in a life around that redemption so that all of life, all of life, every moment of life is given to sweet fellowship and worship of the God who created us for fellowship and worship. And our hearts, your heart, my heart, they will be restless if we pursue our rest anywhere outside of the rest that's available in the story of redemption. So what I'm praying for is that after we get through this 12 weeks together, you're just going to say, I believe the gospel more deeply than I did before. My heart is more at rest in Jesus than it was before. So let's dive in and see what Paul says to us here. And if you're asking, man, there's a lot in verses 1 to 14. How are you going to do this all in one sermon? I would say there is a lot in verses 1 to 14. And if you want like a detailed word by word, part by part, you can go on desiringgod.org. And Pastor John has like parts 1 through 973 of verses 1 to 14. My conviction when I'm preaching this is Paul wrote this in a letter. And verses 3 to 14 are a sentence, which means Paul wants it to hit you like this. He wants it to hit you like a tidal wave of grace. And so that's what I'm praying for. You just feel like overwhelmed by grace this morning as it comes at you like a tidal wave. So first what we're going to see is that God's working for us and he's working for his church in Christ to his glory. So there's so much to say here, but start in verses one to two and simply notice how radically for the church God is. Look at verses one to two. 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. If you went to the end of chapter 6, you know what you'd find ending the letter? Grace and peace. Bracketing the whole thing. What do we see here? We see that God has appointed Paul as his apostle, as his mouthpiece of his purposes and his promises. And he's appointed him to give some news, to write a letter to a specific people, this, this church. And who are the people? The saints, right? The believers in Ephesus, faithful to Jesus, the, the local church in Ephesus. God's going, I'm going to appoint my man, Apostle Paul, with his purpose and promises, and I'm going to tell him to talk to this church. And what is this message supposed to bring to the church? Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants them, he wants us, through his word, written down for us to now receive 2,000 years later, he wants us to receive grace. What does that mean? Undeserved kindness, goodness, his foreness towards us, peace, settledness, rest, happiness, wants us to receive that from him. And that's how we need to receive this letter from him. We need to believe that in Christ, this is God's posture towards us. Start with that. Do you believe that? Like I remember sitting on my patio going, okay, I'm out of the professional pastor game here for a little bit. Do I really believe that God is for me? Do I really have peace with God separated from all these things? Do I believe this is God's disposition towards me? Some of us have backgrounds of hurt and harm towards us. We have bad examples of parents. We've got all sorts of messed up stuff that make, us, make it hard for us to believe that God could be for us. Right? Some of us are caught up in condemning voices in our own heads or sin we're caught up in that make us believe that, man, maybe God really couldn't be this for me. He wouldn't just want grace and peace for me. But that's what this says. He's writing to a church just like us, made up of broken, foolish sinners. God knows your fears. God knows your failures. He knows your faults. He knows your foolishness. And yet he still wants to move towards you to offer you grace and peace week by week. And I hope that by the end of today, you'll believe that God is working for his church. God will always work for his church. This is what he's always doing. So then we can ask, well, how and why is he working? How and why? Well, as we go along today, I want you to notice how thoroughly his work is in Christ. You're going to say, how is God working in Ephesians, in the story of redemption, in all of life? It's in Christ. In fact, in these verses... The idea of God blessing us in or through Christ in verses 3 to 14 shows up at least 11 times, maybe 12, depending on how you count one. So literally everything we have comes in and through Christ. This is part of a, a doctrine called union with Christ, which simply means that his death counts for our death to sins. We don't have to die because he died and that counts for us. And, and his resurrection life is now ours and all the benefits 
and all the standing and all the way that the Father looks on the Son, he looks at us that way now. That's what union with Christ is, and that's how it works in this passage. Pastor Nick is going to start a Sunday school class in two weeks on union with Christ. You all should all be in that class and just rejoice week after week in all that you have in Jesus Christ. So that's how he's working. Everything happens through Christ. That's the how. Why? Why is he working? You heard Bruce pray it. If you looked at verse 6 and verse 12 and verse 14, and you see all this work God does for his people in Jesus, it always crescendos, is aiming towards, is moving towards the glory of God. God is working for the good of his people and the glory of his name, and it is a beautiful thing that those things don't have to compete. You could look at it, you could say, well, man, he's working for his glory, is that okay? That's what he has to do if he's God. (laughs) He has to, if he's righteous and holy, point us to the most valuable thing in the universe and say, worship that, go after that. And as you read what he does, you will also realize that it's the only logical conclusion that we can come to is to be on our faces, on our knees and say, we worship you. You're all we have, you're all we need. So he's working in Christ, and he's working for his glory, so that I hope by the end of the day today, you're saying with Paul from verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul wants you to do. That's what he wants you to join him in. So how is he working in Christ for his glory? Three ways. Now, again, verses 3 to 14 are one sentence in Greek which means splitting it up any way you want to is a little bit arbitrary, but we're going to try to split it up in a way that kind of walks us through the logical flow of redemptive history. So first, he works for us for his glory and in Christ in his eternal plan to bring us in. So in this one sentence, Paul is kind of overflowing in wanting the church to know that they have every spiritual blessing in Christ and then unpack some of those blessings so that they can worship. So you say, what's Paul's goal in these verses? Say, so you would worship. <laughs> what's Paul's goal to the Ephesian church? That, that you would worship and say, I have to praise this God. And that's how you should think of this sentence. Paul is amazed by God's grace towards his church and wanting to show the church how good he is so that they can join him in worship. And if you're thinking, well, that, that's hard. How am I going to get there? I would just say this is what we do all the time. Right, we've used these examples at, at our church for many, many years, but kids and parents, probably more than kids, you all know football season starts today, right? You're happy that service is at 10 and not 10.30. You're like, okay, that gives me time, right? Many of you are going to watch games. You're going to go home and you're going to watch games, and you're going to shout at your TV in joy and frustration. You will, but you'll come on Sundays, and you know, just like when we're singing, hmm, Mmm, it's good, right? Why aren't you shouting and singing about redemption? <laughs> right? I mean, goodness gracious, right? You will shout at your TV and joy and frustration. And then later on in the day or week, you know what you'll do? You'll talk to like everyone who will listen about it. Some of you are like, I can't memorize the Bible. You have all your fantasy stats down, right? You got all of them down. You know the predictions and how are they failed. You got them all down. And Paul's like, do that for Jesus. Join me in doing that for Jesus. 
And we don't just do this with sports, right? We do it with our favorite music, our favorite TV shows, our favorite hobbies, or whatever else we really care about in the moment, right? People are like, hey, do you have any pictures of Remy? I'm like, I have 900 pictures. Like, which, which, which ones do you want to see? I'll show them all to you, and I'll tell you what was happening in every one, right? Because I love her. <laughs> I want you to love her with me. So that's how we should view this sentence. Paul wants us to know that God has an eternal plan to bring us into his family. He wants us to worship. He's not content with us sitting ho-hum and worshiping every other thing in our life but God. Each of these words that we're going to look at has a whole chapter in a theology textbook, but I, like I said, want them to hit you fast and furious today as a tidal wave of grace towards you. So let's look first at verses 4 to 5. Paul says, Blessed be God because he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. Now there's all sorts of debates about the choosing and predestining work of God but today let's just let them stand in their profound simplicity. When Paul wrote this he would have assumed that they could understand what they meant without a big debate. As long as they weren't going to twist God into their own image or try to change what he was saying, Paul would go, I think I've used words that are pretty clear. Predestined, determined beforehand, elected, chose of my own volition. That, that's what they mean. So what do we see? What is he doing? God chose us in Christ. So we should say, well, well what did he choose us for? <laughs> like, what am, I, what am I signed up for now? He chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. So when did he choose me? Before the foundation of the world. That's like a really long time ago. right? Before the world existed, before you were born, before you did anything good or bad, if you're trusting in Jesus today, it's because God chose you before the world began. He knew what your strengths would be. Right? He, he knew what your weaknesses would be. He knew all the ways you'd sin against him and choose other things to worship. And he chose you. Right? There's no spiritual pride. Like I was more spiritually sensitive or, or I could kind of figure this out on my own. We can all agree that none of our resumes were very strong before the foundation of the world. Or weak. Right? They were just... In his mind, in his eternal plan, and he chose you. What did he choose you for? That you should be holy and blameless before him. God decided before the foundation of the world that he wanted his people in his place to enjoy his presence. Right? That was the story in Genesis, and that's the story of Ephesians. God's people in God's place to enjoy God's presence. What did he choose you for? To be in his presence, holy and blameless forever. You had to be holy and blameless to be in his presence because God cannot coexist with sin. So he would need to make a people, choose a people, bring a people to himself and make them holy and blameless. And that would be really good news. To be chosen, to be in his presence forever, to get to experience his glory, the, the unending eternal glory of the most beautiful, majestic being ever, right? That would be an amazing thing. But notice, he didn't just bring us in as a people that are spectators or fans to cheer him on. He's saving a family. 
You're not just going to be with me. You're going to be mine. <laughs> That's amazing. He predestined us for adoption, family, through Jesus Christ, according to literally the, the good pleasure of his will, which to say it simply means it makes God happy to make you family. <laughs> it makes God happy to make you family. That's crazy. How happy God is working purposes from thousands of years past before the foundation of the world to get you sitting here now to be part of his family. It makes him happy. It's his good pleasure to do this. The word of adoption has the idea of full legal standing. When God chooses and predestines before the foundation of the world, he guaranteed that you'd be fully his forever. Not up for grabs. Not up to your good or bad. Some of you think... You've done too much for God to have you. Right? You've just always been this barrier, like I've done too much. God, if he's real, if he's holy. I've talked to people like this. They're like, I know he's holy, but if he's really as holy as the Bible says, he's not going to want me. <laughs> you know what I've done? Some of you want to pretend God isn't real. Right? You're too smart for God. Right? You've, you've figured it out. Like You're above those silly little ideas. And yet you have this ache in your heart to belong to an eternal family. Right, you're just not finding it. Your, your family's not giving it to you. Your coworkers aren't giving it to you. Your hobbies aren't giving it to you. There's always an ache that you want more. And some of you do believe in Jesus, but because of what you've done or what's been done to you, you actually believe that God simply tolerates you in his kingdom. He chose you. He didn't have to. He chose you. He predestined you knowing it all. To be with him forever as family, not just a spectator, but a son or daughter of the most high king of the universe. He loves you with an unchanging, overwhelming love. So, if that's all true, just let's say it's all true for a second. What would happen when we realize that despite our sin and our brokenness and our foolishness and our inadequacy, that God has chosen us to be with him and bring us into his family? What would have to happen if we realized that? Verse 6, right? Verse 6 would have to happen to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We would praise him for his grace. We'd say, oh my goodness, you are so gracious. Oh my goodness, you are so good. Oh my goodness, I could have never planned it this way. I could have never seen things this way. We praise him for his undeserved kindness that comes towards us in the person and work of Jesus to bring us out of the cold and darkness and ugliness and deceit of sin and bring us into the warmth and light and beauty and truth of salvation. That's point number one. <laughs> and it just keeps getting better. Point number two, God saves us in Christ for his glory, verses 7 to 10, in his redemptive work in Christ. Now we said holy and blameless, but something had to happen to make us holy and bring us out of the slave camp of sin and into the family of God, to make us holy and blameless. In verses 7 to 10, tell that story. So how did God bring his plan to pass? Read it with me. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite or to head up all things in him, things in heaven 
and things on earth. So God planned, we already, already have seen, to bring us to himself as sons and daughters. Amazing grace. But God knew we'd sin and fall short, that we wouldn't be able on our own to stand holy and blameless in his presence. God knew that we couldn't pay the infinite price for sin by ourselves, and God couldn't be holy and God and righteous in who he is and simply act like sin's no big deal, right? So there's a problem. It's a problem between us and God. And I often give this example, but kids, maybe you've been like in a store, and maybe you're in a store that's a little bit more expensive. There's some stuff on the shelves, and mom and dad say, hey, hey, just be careful. And don't, don't touch that. Uh, don't you know, break that. Well, we were in one such store, right? When I think Iris was probably about Quinn's age. Maybe she was three or four. First kid, so not as aware of the things you should say to your kids in expensive places. And so she's walking through this thing, and she, sure enough, just knocks it off the shelf, right? It's the kind of thing that I wouldn't pay any amount of money for. And when I looked to see what they thought someone might pay for it, I thought, oh, man, this is, <laughs> we have different, I have different tastes than some people do, right? And so... I couldn't in that moment, right, I couldn't in that moment go up to the counter and say to them, hey, I know um, that this very strange snow globe or whatever it was uh, is $45, but I'll tell you what, I've got a $5 McDonald's gift card. Now let's call it even. We both know that you want this more than that, right? I couldn't do that because the, the price was too high, right? My, my little $5 gift card wouldn't have done it for this $45, whatever it was. And, and that's the problem we have. That if God is infinitely worthy and holy, then there's no human being that's only human that can pay the infinite cost for our sin. We need a match. And so what did God do? Well, the Father and Son planned together before the foundation of the world that Jesus would come to earth. He, he'd leave his eternal glory and perfections and come down into our mess, fully God and fully man, and he'd pay the price for our sins. Like, like why did Jesus have to come and take on flesh? Because we needed a sacrifice. The only worthy payment and sacrifice for sin against a holy God is God himself. So Jesus came and lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He shed his blood and this passage teaches us that from that blood flowed forgiveness. And some of you just need to let that word land on you this morning. Forgiveness. Right? Shed his blood and forgiveness came. I don't know. I don't know what your deepest regrets or failures are right now. I don't know where your current struggles with sin are for all of you. But I do know because God says it. That if you trust in Jesus through his blood, there is full and free and forever forgiveness. Do you believe that? That's not me saying it. I'm not trying to make you feel better about yourself. That's God saying that about what he's done in Jesus Christ. Sins cast as far as the east is from the west, right? Which way am I facing? And he doesn't just give us a little grace. This is amazing. He says, hey, this is what I did for you, forgiveness, grace. Then he says, I didn't just give you a little grace. I lavish you with it. You see that there? Like, why is he telling us that? Like, I just want you to know, church, that you're just going to get hit and hit and hit and hit with the tidal wave of grace. Like, chapter 2, in the coming ages, what does God want to do? 
show you his grace in kindness towards you. Like for all of eternity, church, I just want to show you how much I love you, how much I'm for you, and just show kindness to you forever. That's crazy. And he just wants to know, he wants you to know that today. God doesn't give you a drop of grace. He gives you a tidal wave of grace crashing over your deepest stains to wash you white as snow. And not only that, but he gives you grace to have your eyes opened. So what are you talking about in making known to us? To have your eyes open to see that the whole story of history, past, present, future, all of it is centered on the redeeming, reconciling person and work of Jesus Christ. God makes known to us his plan in Christ. We believe it, right? Not only are we saved from our sins, but our eyes are open to go, that's what it's all about. So my life is all about. That's what history's been all about. That's what the future's all about. And now I'm a part of it, and that's what I get to be all about. That's what he's saying here in verses 9 and 10. We are washed in his blood and then have eyes to see the much bigger story of redemption that is bigger than our lives, our church, our country, our time, but it is the story behind all stories in all times, in all places, for all peoples. Do you believe it? Right, do you feel yourself even now, despite sin and circumstances, washed over by this tidal wave of grace and caught up in the grand story of redemption where all of history is headed? You feel that. You see it right here in these words. Finally, point three, God is for his church in Christ, for his glory, in his keeping of us for our inheritance. Verses 11 to 14. Look at verse 11 first. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Notice the repetition of the word predestined from before. If we're predestined to adoption, redeemed by his blood, then we are full family members who get the full inheritance of God. There's a new heaven and earth coming one day and we will own it all with God. Paul says to the Corinthians, you own the world. What are you worried about? You own everything. It's, it's all going to be yours as, a, as his redeemed people. We'll be in his place to enjoy his presence forever as his blood-bought family. And the really good news is that a promise is only as good as the one making it, right? We all have people in our lives who, when they say something, we're like, okay, we can count on that, right? That's going to happen. They keep their word. And then we all have some people in our lives when they say something, they go, I hope so, right? I, ho I hope that happens. That'd be great if that happened, and maybe it will, and maybe it won't. So who's making this promise? This promise is made from the one, read it with me, verse 11, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. How many things? All things, right? And he is pleased, it's his good pleasure, to redeem us and bring us in and share all things with us forever. And as this happens, as he brings us in and redeems us and calls us his children and promises us an inheritance, what happens? What should happen? Verse 12 should happen, right? I just want you to see how natural, how right it is so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In other words, as the world looks on and sees people redeemed and changed and given an inheritance as we hope in him, they don't look at us and go, wow, they're awesome. They look at God and say, he's awesome. <laughs> look at what he's done. 
Look at verses 13 to 14. How will God make sure that we get there? How's he going to make sure we get all the way to this inheritance? It says here, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So do you ever, if you're honest with yourself, do you ever practically feel like, yeah, sure, I've been saved by grace alone, but now I'm kind of white-knuckling it towards eternity. <laughs> I'm just holding on for dear life, right? I got I to be better. I got to do better. I got to kill this thing. I got to beat this thing, right? And you just feel the, the burden coming on you. Like in all of life's suffering and all the sin inside you and all the sin you see happening around you, how will you hold on? How will you make it? Sure, you've heard the truth. Your eyes have been opened. You've believed in Jesus. But how do you keep holding on? Well, here Paul gives us assurance. When you trust in the work of Jesus, you become a family member. And as a family member, the Holy Spirit is given to you to be a seal and a down payment of that future glory. What does that mean practically? It means that this is a promise from God to his church that the Holy Spirit will live in you to keep you from ultimately running away from Jesus. So we don't have any pride in our coming to salvation, and we don't have any pride in our staying saved. (laughs) I woke up today a Christian because the Holy Spirit's in me, doing this in me, keeping me, holding on to me. But he, he lives in me to keep reminding me and helping me experience the goodness and grace and beauty of Jesus when I'm prone to forget. He lives in us to empower us to look to him for our rest and joy. The Holy Spirit is the promised keeper of the blood-bought family and the first taste of fellowship with God now that will last forever. And he will keep you. (laughs) He will keep you. You won't be lost if you've trusted in Jesus. You can't be lost because you've been given this gift. God gives good gifts to his children, Jesus says especially the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is the the keeper and the foretaste of eternity. The Holy Spirit is God, and so he is sovereign. (laughs) It's not just a force or a power that you hope shows up during your favorite worship song. (laughs) Right? He's he's God. (laughs) That's who he is. And so he will, and he can, and he does convict and comfort and exhort and encourage in just the right ways in the midst of triumphs and tragedies, sanctification and sin to keep you clinging to Jesus and in this family. And when we realize that God does that by his Holy Spirit, we have all these benefits and then God promises to keep us by himself, what should happen? And in verse 14 should happen, right? God gets praised for his glorious work. Like what else would you do with this information? <laughs> Besides say he's a great God. So what do we do with this then? I think we just receive it and rejoice. And this is hard for us. Um, Like this was, if I was going to say in a sentence to you, the lesson for sabbatical, and it will come out over and over again, I'm sure. It would be this sentence. It would be, it is better to be loved than useful. It's better to be loved than useful. It is hard for us to just sit and receive a gift like this. Some of you right now are going, okay, I really got to worship after Pastor Dave is done, right? I got, <laughs> I got to feel it. I got, I got to do something, right? Our hearts just start going to like, what do I do mode? And it's hard to sit and go, 
oh, I just, I just receive it. And then I let the Lord do in me what he's going to do in me. Right? You can't come up with better news than this, this, in this sentence. You can't. So the question is, just do, you, do you trust him? And will you just today remember and receive all that God has for you in Christ again? Will you today believe for the first time? This is Jesus. I want him. Or maybe believe in a fresh way again that the blood of Jesus really does wash you white as snow and give you a new identity as a son or daughter of God. Will you believe that again today? That his grace is greater than your sin. That his love for you in Christ defines you. Not your achievements or your failures. Not your sin or the sin done against you. But his love defines you. Will you today humble yourself before him? And with open hands just receive this gift that you never could have given yourself. Right? Just, yeah, I'll take that. (laughs) Yeah, I want that. Will you see that this is the place your heart has been longing for freedom? Right here in Jesus. That this is the place your heart has been longing to belong. Right here in Jesus and in his church. That this is the place your heart has been longing to rest in. Right here in Jesus, in his finished work. And if we receive it, then what is left but to rejoice in it? Right, to rejoice in it, to, to praise him, to worship, to sit in humble silence as we realize what our holy God has done for broken sinners. And then to erupt in loud praise that shows that we realize we are sons and daughters with no more condemnation invited into his presence to praise him forever. What's left to do but just rejoice? Pray with me. So Lord, I, I know from my, my own life and the lives of many that I, I sit with and talk with that um, Life is hard and there's all sorts of complex and broken situations in this room and listening to my voice on the live stream and there's pain and there's fear and there's sorrow and then there's some just gratefulness and joy. We're all in different spots in life and what I'm praying for right now, Lord, is that you by your spirit would press down in the deepest places of our hearts and make us believe that verses 3 to 14 are true of us and that from us believing that that's true, that we would worship. (laughs) That you'd get the glory you deserve for being a God who does this for us in Christ to the praise of your glory. So now we get to come and eat and drink with Jesus, Father, and eat and drink at the table. And I pray that as we sit with you and we eat and drink with you, that your presence would be among us, that you'd uh, assure us of our salvation, that you'd convict us of our sin, that you'd help us lay down any sin or brokenness at the foot of your cross, And that we'd come running back into your presence, full of the joy, knowing that we have a God who chose us before the foundation of the world, adopted us into his family, redeemed us by his blood, lavishes us with his grace, makes known to us the point of all history, gives us an inheritance that will last forever, seals us with the Holy Spirit, Lord, all in Christ, all to the praise of your glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.